The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So several years ago, uh, when I was working in Central Texas, there was a young woman who worked for me, and she was finishing up her master's, so she needed to do a practicum and internship at a church. And so she had really great grades and really good references. She had lots of experience. So we hired her, and we knew it was just going to be for like three months or six months. And she was pretty exceptional. She was an exceptional student. She did her job really well. And she was one of those people that just had their life together. And then she graduated and moved on, and I kept following her just on social media, like on Instagram. And she had started dating a new guy, and slowly I could see her life begin to change. Like she was always really interested in fitness and her appearance. She was very dedicated to that. She was a good reader. She did a lot of thinking, and all of that started to kind of wither away. And you could see like, that she wasn't staying in the kind of shape that she normally had or had before, and then her habits were different. You know, have you ever seen those people? Like you, you, you see them and you know just something's different. Like suddenly, like in every picture, like there's a drink in her hand, or she's out partying, and all of those signs that things aren't going the direction that they were going before. And so she fell into this pattern where it was, dating one person, then another, then another. She would move from job to job to job because I was um, her most recent boss. She used me as a reference to get apartments. And I could see that she was moving from place to place to place. I got a call one day from her landlord looking for her because she hadn't paid her rent. And I said, well, I'm not paying her rent. And then something flipped and she started like posting again and she was like back in the gym and she got a job and she got a house and started taking care of her life and all of the domains that God had given her. And so we began just exchanging messages and I said, well, it looks like things are going well for you. And she says, they are. And I wrote her, I said, well, I hope that makes you feel strong. And she goes, it does. And then she said, I just kind of forgot myself for a little bit. So Ecclesia, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you know that we are in a series on remembering and the importance of remembering and that you really can't, none of us can function very well without remembering. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about Aza Nazarian's book, Big Gods. And what he says at the conclusion of all of these studies, he says, what makes the difference to our behavior is less what we believe than the phenomena of being reminded, even subconsciously, of what we believe. And the point being, so much of what we do as a community when we gather in this place is remembering and if you've been around a lot, you've heard one of our other pastors, Paul Randall, remind us over and over again that we are indeed forgetful people. And when we forget, 
we lose touch with who we are and what's real and what's true, not just about us, but about the world. And so I want to spend a little time this morning talking about this very weird thing that we do. And most of us, many of us have been around churches for long enough, or maybe we grew up with it, that we do this weird thing every week that we're so accustomed to doing it that we forget that it's weird. And whether it's me or Pastor Chris or one of our really gifted Ecclesians like Ruth Turley or Erica Graham or my wife Rochelle who will be here next week, that every week someone gets up and talks and you all sit there and listen most of the time. And that is really weird. Like that doesn't happen in a lot of places. There are only a few places that happens. It happens in churches and synagogues, places like this. And then maybe if you go to a comedy show, a stand-up comedy show, or a political speech, people come, they gather for a purpose, and then one person talks for a long period of time, often much longer than you want them to talk. And like I've told people, the best way to get a preacher to shut up is to stop paying attention. Because as long as you pay attention, people like me, we will keep talking. Which my wife finds very frustrating because in the course of a week at home, I hardly talk at all. But this is a weird thing that we do. And what you need to know about that is that all throughout history, from the beginning of the story that is passed on to us in Scripture, this has been a part of what the people of God have done, but maybe not for the reason that you think. Because what we do together, one of the reasons that we do it, is so that you and I don't forget ourselves. So I have a subscription to this streaming service called BritBox. And I only got it for one thing. I wanted to see the entire run of the television show Father Brown because there aren't enough TV shows about clergy. And I love TV shows about clergy and especially, as I've told you before, clergy who solve crimes. But now I've seen the whole thing, saw the whole run. And so I have tried to cancel my subscription to BritBox and they won't let me. Every time I go and try to cancel, they say, how about another month for free? Now I'm not watching much on BritBox, but I cannot turn down free. And so what they are hoping is that I forget, but they don't know me. Because <laughs> as soon as I say, yes, I'll take another month free, I set a reminder to cancel BritBox. But here's what I've learned from watching British TV. There's this little phrase that when someone does something rude or out of pocket, out of character, something that goes against convention, and they're called on it by someone else, someone else points it out, they will say, I'm sorry, I forgot myself. 
so much of life is about remembering yourself. And when we gather, one of the things we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish is to help one another remember ourselves. So there's a story in the Old Testament that takes up a good chunk of the Old Testament about the Israelites going into captivity. And here's what happens, is that they have had prophet after prophet after prophet, not yet. (laughs) They've had prophet after prophet after prophet say to them, if you don't start treating people better, if you don't take care of the poor, if you don't do justice, then the Babylonians, the Assyrians are going to come over and they're going to conquer you and you'll be carried off into slavery. And the Israelites just don't believe them. They think we can just do whatever. We are the people of God. We have our place. We are living in the promised land. And plus, we even have the temple. Like they literally say this, that they think that because the temple has been built and they have the temple, that God himself won't punish them. They literally say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Like we've got the temple. And so they don't do anything that God or the prophets ask them to do. So then they are conquered and they're carried into exile, into slavery. But it's not, it's not that everybody was carried off into slavery. People carried off into slavery were the wealthy, educated, people who could be educated to work in the government to make Babylon a better place to live. All of those people were carried off into slavery and everybody else just kind of stayed and there was a governor there and they paid tribute and they lived in the land but they couldn't do any of their religious practices because one of the things that happens when you get conquered in the ancient world is that's proof that your God is an inferior God. And so one of the people that rises up in Babylon who helps the Babylonians with their own government is a man named Nehemiah. And there are two people, Ezra and Nehemiah. And Ezra is a priest, but Ezra has long since been in Israel. He is watching over the people there. And the Babylonians send Nehemiah and they say, you know what, we're kind of tired of having you guys around. If you promise to behave yourself and pay your taxes, you can go back and kind of start and put your life and your people back together again. So they take Nehemiah and he goes back to Israel. And if you've been around the Bible, if you've been around church, you've probably heard the story of how Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. Because they get back and they decide, you really can't do very much in this world if we can't protect our people. So let's start rebuilding the city. And we're going to start rebuilding the city with rebuilding the wall. Footnote, they don't rebuild the whole wall. They rebuild part of the wall. But they rebuild enough of the wall to feel like they have accomplished something, that they can be a people again. And once they get that sense that something has been restored, Ezra and Nehemiah gather all of the people. And this is the story Nehemiah tells us starting in chapter eight. He says, when everyone had settled, they regathered in Jerusalem. Everyone met in the square 
that is in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law, the word the Eternal sent through Moses to Israel. Ezra the priest did as they asked, bringing God's law to Israel. The community included both men and women, which is saying a lot. Because most of the time when you open up the Bible and you're reading about large gatherings and they tell you about a group of people being gathered or they give you a number, what they're doing the majority of the time is just men. Men were the only ones who counted, but for some reason, Nehemiah wants you to know that this was men and women. Anyone, he says, who was able to understand was welcomed. This gathering took place on the first day of the seventh month. Facing the people in the square next to the water gate, he began to read excerpts. The document was massive. And just reading parts took him six or seven hours from daybreak until noon. And you think you've been to some long church services. (laughs) But you haven't, because unlike me, most of you did not grow up in a black church and you just plan on being there all day. He says, everyone who was there heard him. Men, women, anyone with the ability to understand. As he read, they were focused and listened carefully to the book of the law. And as he read, Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform made for this very occasion. So they gather all of the people, anyone who could understand, all of the people who were still in Israel or who remained in Israel, and they read. And for the first time, in about 70 years, they heard the book of the law from their own priests and their own leaders They read the book, and then Nehemiah tells us this is what happens next. He says, Ezra opened the book of the law. As he opened the book, everyone stood. Then Ezra called out and blessed the eternal, worshiping God's greatness. With their hands raised to heaven, the people called out loudly in response, crying, amen, so may it be. Then they fell to their knees and bowed. With their faces to the ground, they worshiped the eternal. Ezra read the law. The people listen, and the Levites explained it to them. Now, as God's law was read, the people began to weep. But Nehemiah, the Persian's appointed governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and all of the ministering Levites said to the people, this day is sacred to the eternal one, your God. It is not a day for mourning and weeping. And Ezra says, go back to your homes and prepare a feast Bring out the best food and drink you have and welcome all to your table, especially those who have nothing. This day is special. It is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve over your past mistakes. Let the eternal's own joy be your protection. Isn't this odd? I mean, I have been in worship gatherings where I've gotten teary. I don't cry that much, so I just say I was moved emotionally. 
I have heard things that have been deeply meaningful, but I've never wept. And my favorite translation of this is that they read the book of the law and explained it with interpretation. But that's when the odd thing happens. They weep. Why are they weeping? And there are a lot of interpretations about why the Israelites weep. But there's one that's really simple. That after decades and decades of decades, after having the prophets warn them of being conquered, after having been conquered, after living as slaves in Babylon, and some of them returning home, this is the first time in generations that they've heard the word, the book of the law, and they were reminded of who they were. And we gather, it's to be reminded through the word of who you are, of who we are. And there are a lot of places, a lot of healthy places where you can get a better sense for yourself in story, in therapy, with good friends, in great conversation, in great books. But this is the place where the person who created you reminds you of you, that you were created in God's image, and you were created for a purpose, for a reason, that your presence here is not an accident or an incident, and there is a way to live that maximizes the way that you were created. That there's a way to be in the world that is inherent to how you are created. Because some of us know exactly what it's like to forget ourselves. Like maybe for you, it was a relationship and you got in this relationship with this guy or this girl, and you wanted to be in a relationship so badly, or you wanted to be in a relationship with this person so badly that piece by piece by piece over time, you forgot yourself. You gave yourself away. Or maybe for you, you really like money. And you realized that you could buy things with money, and you like things. And so you started doing things like we all have to for money. But then you thought, if I do this, I can make more money. And maybe if I do this, and if I cut this corner, and if I cut off this person, if I tweak a little bit, if I massage this, I can make even more money. And one day you realize that you had forgotten yourself. Or maybe for you, you were in a relationship maybe even one with your parents that was so controlling 
that the moment you got free, like you were off to the races and you forgot yourself. And here's a sneaky truth about life. When we feel most free is when we are actually the most forgetful. Because feeling free and being free are two different things. One of my favorite theologians is Walter Brueggemann, and he says this. He says, we live at a time when we believe we should have no story except the story we chose when we had no story. We call this freedom. And when Nehemiah gathers his people, he is reminding them and inviting us into the reality that you have a story. You already have a story. And you don't get to make this up. How humans thrive, how humans flourish, what we become, the good life that we can live is embedded in a story of the God who created us. And at every turn, we hear people who tell us that if we abandon that story and live in this fiction that we can just kind of create our own story, then we will finally be free and happy. And what we find out over time is that's the best way to forget yourself. Several years ago, I knew a young woman and she lived the story that she had no story, except the story she gave herself when she had no story. And she and I had become friends. We were sitting having coffee one day and she desperately, desperately, desperately wanted to find a partner and get married. And because she wanted it so badly that she would do almost anything to get it. And as we're having coffee this one morning, she says, you know, Sean, I realized something that all of my choices have led me right here. And now I have three kids by three different men. And I don't think anyone else would want me. The truth is, when Nehemiah gathers his people, and what we do here together is remind each other that you really can re-enter the story. But Nehemiah gets the people together and he says, forget your past mistakes. Forget our past mistakes. You can re-enter this story regardless of what brought you here or where you are now the choices that you have made to this point and the consequences of those choices that you will live with forever, even with them, you can re-enter the story. And no one else will tell you that. The rest of the world will want to define you and hem you in and give you false views of freedom. 
But here, we re-enter the story. And what's fascinating about the book of Nehemiah is that there's a lot of remembering going on. Nehemiah sets a reminder like me with BritBox. He remembers everything. Nehemiah 5, he says, Remember me for the good I have done, my true God, for I have served your people. In Nehemiah 13, he says, Oh God, my God, remember this good I have done. Do not forget the way I have served your temple and its servants. In Nehemiah 13, 22, Oh God, my God, remember my actions because of your great love. Show me mercy. 13.31, oh God, my God, remember me with favor. And then he even remembers his enemies. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these their words, and the prophetess who would have made me afraid. And in 13.29, oh God, my God, remember how these men polluted the priesthood and the sacred vows of the priests and the Levites? And here's what you need to know about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not asked God to remember because Nehemiah is worried that God is going to forget. But like all great prayers, he asks God to remember so that Nehemiah doesn't forget, so that we don't forget. And part of that is just knowing your story, the story that is in the scriptures. And so one of the reasons we teach is so that we remember. The denomination that I was raised in was very pastoral people, very simple, simple worship service. So in the early days of our movement, there were a lot of traveling preachers and they came up with a simple way for people to remember the answer to one question. And that one question was this, what must I do to be saved? And they came up with a mnemonic device, because everybody, just about everybody, has four fingers and a thumb. And the answer to this, they would gather around kids and they would teach them, everyone needs to hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. I was taught that. I will never forget that. Like I could be near comatose. And if you asked me, Sean, what must people do to be saved? I would say, hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized because it was a way to remember our story, what was crucial for us to believe. So last night, my youngest daughter had a chamber choir concert at, in the chapel at Via de Mattel. And so it was beautiful there, it's great, but it's a far drive from where we live, and it's a far drive from the school where she goes, where the chamber choir is. And we didn't have to just go there last night. We had to go there for rehearsals. And I don't know, I just hate Houston traffic. It was a lot of driving. And so our whole family's there. The concert's beautiful, the chapel is beautiful. I'm sitting next to my oldest daughter. And we thought that they were having the concert at the convent for the nuns, the nuns who live in the convent. There was not a single nun in that whole place. And so my oldest leans over to me and she goes, I thought this concert was for the nuns. Like, why are we here? Just for the vibes? 
And as I was sitting there looking around this beautiful chapel, and there's a stained glass and the art on the wall and the sculptures. And that's when you realize that the reason these places were built and the reason they look the way they look is to tell the story, to remind you of the story. And, and if you don't know the story, none of that makes any sense to you. You're not learning a single thing. You're being reminded of what you've already taught. That's 16 years ago, I was at a church and they were looking to hire a new preacher. And so in that system, you kind of just apply, like you apply for a job. And then you have to go and do what I call like the dancing bear routine for a weekend. You show up and you got to preach and meet everybody and shake grandma's hand and do the whole thing. And this guy had come and he had preached. And I was talking to one of our church members about the sermon and what he thought about it. And he goes, well, you know, I didn't hear anything new or novel. And I thought... Is that the point? Like, is that why we're here? I didn't know that novelty was the goal. Because when we teach, we're not going for new or novel. We're going for faithful. And almost by definition, you cannot be faithful to something you just heard for the first time. Like nobody says amen to new information. It's very much like when you reach a certain age and you go to a concert by an artist that you really liked when you were younger and you're there and you're vibing and it's a good concert and you're remembering and singing along all the songs and then they go, okay, um, so now we're gonna do one from the new album. And you're like, I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> what we do is not inform it's remind of your story and how it is interwoven in God's story. And that this is the story that you were made for, that your partner was made for, that your parents were made for. And it's a story that informs how you treat others and deal with conflict and hard times. It's a story about how you parent and how you hold power. It's a story about how you drive. It's a story about how you pay your taxes. It's a story about all the places that your life touches, but it's not a new story. We're just forgetful. And the thing that drove Jesus, the thing that drove the Pharisees crazy about Jesus is that most of what Jesus said was not new. Matter of fact, Jesus says over and over again, you guys just don't know your Bible. And it wasn't that he came with a new teaching. It's that he came with an old teaching. And Jesus is called a lot of things in the scriptures. Savior and redeemer and healer. 
There are titles after title. But in the New Testament, what Jesus is called more than anything else is teacher. So when I travel, and people who've known me a long time, they'll ask me, hey, Sean, do you ever think that you'll like, go back to the days when you were a senior pastor at a church? And I say, no, I got the Jesus title. Jesus spends most of his time reminding people who God is and who they are because of who God is. Jesus doesn't say very much new, but he does say a few things that are new. Jesus gives us a new command and a new practice. And the new command that Jesus says is to love one another as he has loved us. And the new practice was communion. That on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. And after the meal, he took the wine and poured it, saying, this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this wine, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's why when we gather each week, we share the new and remind ourselves of the old. That we are in a company of people throughout the ages who are the living memory of Jesus. And the better we remember, the better we live. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.